Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less. This is a show about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max, also known as Podcast Boy, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how's it going, man? I'm doing good, Max. I'm glad we're keeping that moniker for you. I noticed you changed your handle back on Twitter, which is totally fair enough. But uh, yeah, we need, we need to keep Podcast Boy going for a little while longer. It seems to be a nickname that's sticking. Uh, people call me that a lot still, so I don't, I don't know if that's going to go away ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, you just uh, went to a Suns game yesterday, but maybe the first time that someone notices you and, and yells out Podcast Boy, that would be uh, pretty incredible, I'm sure. It'd be a life-making moment. It really would be. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're obviously going to react to the trade deadline, which was, I guess you could say, a bit of a flop for the Suns, but I think overall for the NBA it was a pretty good deadline. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to ask you, kind of, what what would you rate it out of ten? I think for the Suns, as you said, you know, we did our preview episode, and and really not a lot of what we thought might happen did end up eventuate. Although we did try and temper expectations a little bit there, but mm-hmm. you know, I thought it was probably an an eight or nine out of ten for the for the general NBA. It was pretty crazy there. Yeah, I agree with you. Particularly, I think the uh, Tobias Harris trade was really the one that was was crazy. Yep. Uh, and then also, if you're going to consider the Porzingis trade, which is well before, but still probably counts, right? That was that was awesome. That's- yeah, I went through it because I think we discussed the Porzingis trade on our last pod because it had already happened, and I think there were 21 deals since the Porzingis trade to the deadline, Max. So Mm. uh, it was pretty busy. And then, yeah, as you said, that Harris one, I think anytime you get a Woj bomb, like really, really late at night, like that was even late at night where I was, which generally means that it's like really, really late in the US. So that one always adds to the drama because there's only, you know, a few people up and I even tweeted at you knowing that you'd be asleep that your boy Landry had moved teams I know I can't believe they traded him what are they thinking over there <laughs> uh, but yeah that's one of those ones and we'll get into it more in depth later but that's one of those ones where you, you read the woes tweet and you, it takes you like at least 30 seconds to even develop an opinion on it because there's just so much going on Yep, and we're going to touch on that, you know, with the Sun stuff and some of those bigger deals is kind of, you know, your initial reaction versus what you get to after you, you start to, you know, have all the info- information divulged to you. I think we saw that with the Tyler Johnson, Ryan Anderson one. You know, that one was weird. It, it kind of took a while for the information to come through. So people were making all kinds of judgments on that one, Max. Yeah, we're, we might as well just jump right into that, I guess. Are we going to do any recap here just that we, we played Golden State last night? It was a fun game, and we lost. It was, <laughs> yeah, about. it was an encouraging one. I thought if they it play was, yeah. if they play like that for the rest of the season, we, we should be talking about you know more wins. But you were at that one, and you know that one might come up a little bit as we talk about Tyler Johnson here. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna jump straight in here, Max. I think. Yeah, that was really our only Tyler Johnson data point. So I think we kind of have to talk about that. But yeah, let's let's go over the deal first. So 
not not very complicated here. Ryan Anderson goes to Miami. Tyler Johnson and Wayne Ellington come back. We immediately wave Wayne Ellington. He's going to sign with Detroit, right? It sounds like that's uh, yeah already happened, uh, if not coming up or already happened by the time people are listening to this pod, that's for sure. Yeah, I think a couple of things colored this. And I think it's fair to characterize the uh, initial reaction as, as probably negative for most Suns fans. Do you think that's correct? And general NBA fans, because yeah, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> most Suns moves, you go straight to the negative and you'll probably be right nine times out of ten, I'm sure. But in this case, uh, as we'll get into, I thought this was a, a pretty good move for the Suns. So did I. And I think the two reasons why it was initially perceived as negative. First, it took Woj like forever and a half to report what the trade was. They just He just said it was Tyler Johnson coming and everyone was disappointed by that. Yep. And uh, probably assumed it was going to be, I don't know what they were, so maybe TJ and like Bender or something, which that would have been, you know, probably pretty bad. But it was, it was Ryan Anderson who, you know, is obviously worthless for us as a giant contract. So mm-hmm. the money wasn't that big of a deal. And then the other reason why everyone got kind of got soured on it was because I think when Ellington came over, everyone thought, oh, hey, we're going to trade him for like a second round pick or something, you know? Yeah, and I think that was probably the delay from Woj, uh, and you know, no one else was able to jump in. You know, we didn't even see someone like Gambo mm-hmm. jump in and, and beat him to the details. I've got a suspicion. I, I think I'm probably right on this one. Is uh, Ellington had veto power over the trade, so mm-hmm. I think when the initial deal was probably agreed upon, they needed to get in touch with Ellington and his agent. Uh, and have him agree to the trade or else he could essentially back out and and probably would have ruined the trade with the way that the salaries work. So that's why the Suns were essentially no chance to on-trade Wayne Ellington because uh, he wouldn't have agreed to come here just to be traded, you know, anywhere in the NBA for maybe a second max. So, uh, yeah, it was was really just a throw-in to make the trade work. It, It was really just Tyler Johnson for Ryan Anderson. Yeah, I wonder if uh, the Suns made this trade hoping Wayne Ellington would get on the phone with them and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to play for you guys, get a lot of minutes. And then once they got on the phone, it was clear that wasn't going to happen, so they, they agreed to waive him. That might have been how it went down. Yeah, I'm sure they were you know, hopeful that maybe they could talk him out of it. You know, he, he is a great shooter, and uh, they probably could have offered him you know, some pretty extended minutes to, to help his stock for, for free agency. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he's gone to Detroit, which I guess is a bit of a playoff bubble team, and uh, they probably need his shooting, so probably not a, a bad spot for him. But we didn't really see this one coming, Max. You know, we spoke about our preview episode, and you know, when we touched on Anderson, we thought that maybe he'd be included as a you know a, a salary piece in a in a really big deal but mm-hmm. we probably didn't see you know a side move or a, a slight upgrade which uh, I'm a little bit disappointed we didn't kind of pick up on that because yeah it was it was a good move for the Suns and and something that wasn't all that hard to you know crystal ball but you know as we'll get into I think they've essentially turned a, a non playing guy at the end of the bench into a, a piece that they can really use for this season and next season too Max. David, how could we possibly be expected to predict this when Bill Simmons told us it was impossible to trade Ryan Anderson's contract? <laughs> That's very true. Just quickly, I, I kind of I went around the league looking for uh, other players that, that this could have been. This probably sums up why Tyler Johnson for Ryan Anderson was the deal to get made. So if you look at similar deals to Johnson's, so kind of two years left at around $20 million, maybe with some sort of player option on the second season that the player is mm-hmm. is likely to pick up. You're looking at Alan Crabb in Brooklyn, Reggie Jackson in Detroit, Mozgov in Orlando, Bazemore in Atlanta, Biombo in Charlotte, and Parsons in Memphis, Max. And that's pretty much a mishmash of guys the Suns 
just wouldn't want and would prefer to keep Anderson on the books versus guys that the other team uh, wouldn't be taking Anderson on just to give those guys up like Crabb and, and Baysmore and, and probably even Reggie Jackson, even though I wouldn't want the Suns to go after him. So Johnson really fits kind of perfectly in the middle there of like just being out of the rotation in Miami, but actually being a serviceable player for Phoenix going forward. Yeah, I honestly think I'd probably prefer Tyler Johnson out of all those guys. And it's interesting because I, I don't think, I don't know if you have, I've never considered the idea of Tyler Johnson on the Suns ever. No. It's just not something that's ever entered my brain. <laughs> um, but once once I actually sat down and thought about this deal, I think everyone's like, oh, why are we taking on more money for next summer? It's really not that much more money. It's like $3 million, a little over $3 million, isn't it? 3.6, yeah. 3.6, right. So I, I don't know if they're going to sign a better guard than him for $3.6 million uh, as like a backup. Maybe it's, but you're, you know, take, you're shoot, throwing darts at that point. I think Tyler Johnson's safer. You also get the added value of having him for the rest of this season to stabilize things. Yep. We'll probably in a second here move on to what, what we want to see him on, from him on the floor. We saw a little bit last night. Uh, some to be encouraged about, some not to be. But just in terms of getting an NBA caliber guard uh, without giving really very much up at all, I think that that's kind of what the Suns did here. And that's why I was surprised by how negative people were. I think it was really just probably colored by the fact that everyone was hoping for something better. Yeah, I think that was probably the main reaction to it is everyone was hoping for a Alonzo Ball type trade that didn't end up eventuating. But Tyler Johnson, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. A lot of people are negative about what the Suns, you know, are maybe thinking for free agency this summer and thinking that they're going to be able to get players that just aren't going to really even consider Phoenix with the amount of money that other teams are going to have and, and where those teams are placed. So this is just getting a guy in now, again, as we say, can't repeat it enough, for Ryan Anderson, who was just going to sit on the end of the bench for the rest of this year and then probably be waived, maybe stretched, or maybe kept as an expiring as well. And you, you still have that same flexibility with Tyler Johnson. And, you know, teams love expirings, but, you know, in particular, I think we saw at this trade deadline, teams love expirings where the player can actually play too. Right, you know, they yeah. might they might still get something out of that player, even though the eventual goal is to clear his money off the books and, and save cap room. So Tyler Johnson's going to be an asset even going into next season, just from that standpoint, because... We should also touch on, you know, I watch Miami quite a lot because I've got close friends who go for that team who have been great in kind of filling me in on what Tyler might be able to do for, for this team, which we'll get to with the on-court stuff. But, you know, he was really out of the rotation because Miami just have so many players at that similar position. He, he's definitely not a, a Ryan Anderson type who couldn't get a game for Miami, you know, purely because he sucks. That's That's just mm. not the case. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, and like you just alluded to, we'll get to him in a second in terms of his play. But I do want to make just one more point on the whole contract thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the only way you're getting uh, a discount with Ryan Anderson as compared to Tyler Johnson is if you waive him, right? That, that he guarantees, I think, in mid-June or whatever, or mid-July, sorry. So if, if you keep him on the roster, uh, then he's going to be a, even more money than Tyler Johnson next year, right? Yeah, I think it goes up to $21 million for Ryan Anderson next year. I think that guarantee date is July 10 off the top of my head, which they, okay. I guess, agreed to to essentially know where they're at in early free agency and whether they needed to waive and stretch Anderson, which was a smart move by the Suns. But yeah, I just think they gave up on that initial idea with Anderson. And I think... 
one thing here that is worth touching on is the Suns are a changing course, and I know that's frustrating to people. It seems like a lot of inconsistent messaging, but they had ideas with Ariza and Anderson. They had ideas for this summer, and things haven't quite worked out, and it would be probably a bad front office to keep to the current plans that clearly not going to come to fruition, and instead we're seeing them you know, audible a little bit and try and come up with different plans and, and different ways to add to this roster. So, yeah, I think we're seeing them kind of move on the fly a little bit. You know, the full-time situation with the GM uh, isn't ideal, and hopefully that gets resolved pretty quickly. But, you know, I think we're seeing a team that's uh, pivoting a little bit here. I really think James Jones is just the GM, and they haven't announced it yet. <laughs> that's my opinion on the situation, but we'll see. I'd be very, very surprised if he's not announced as the, the full-time GM. And uh, i just do it now, because it just it stops all the stuff that we see. It stops all the questions from the media. You know, James himself got asked about it quite a lot post-trade deadline and had to kind of play a straight bat with that line of questioning. So, uh, you know, there's really nothing he can do as a GM externally between now and and the draft. And you would hope that it it gets made permanent before the draft anyway. So you just may as well do it now, Max. Yeah, I guess the best argument for maybe the server doesn't, you know, is looking elsewhere is the fact that it hasn't happened yet because there's not a whole lot of reason for it not to happen. He is planning on naming him the full-term guy. Yeah. But anyway, so let's get in a little bit to uh, what we think TJ brings. So, okay. I've said multiple times now that I just think he's like a mediocre NBA guard. You know, he does a lot of things okay. Uh, he's not the best defender. He's not the best shooter. He's not the best playmaker, but he's kind of just okay at everything. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot better than what the Suns have right now. So it's, it's a pretty significant upgrade in my opinion. Uh, last night, he couldn't shoot. He couldn't hit anything. Yeah, I think he was one for 11 maybe, I think it was. but That's not great. He was pretty rusty. But you could still just kind of tell the way he could command the offense. You know, he could dribble. I, I, one thing that really stuck out to me was how confident he was with his handle and with, with the ball in his hands, just moving around the like You know, running the offense. He was confident. Yep. Uh, he looked like somebody who's been playing on a real team for a while and has been surrounded by real players. Uh, it, it just I thought the team looked more settled with him with the ball than they look with anybody besides Booker with the ball. Yeah, I totally agree. I think my first point that I've got down here is is to reiterate that, yeah, he's not a point guard. But if you're, you're into the idea of point book, he's he's a pretty perfect guy to audition that with, with point book for the rest of the season because, mm-hmm. you know, he's 6'4". Uh, and as you say, he's pretty experienced as a of a point of attack defender. He's not the greatest defender, but he is actually pretty good. And uh, you know, with this Suns team, he'll definitely stand out as a defender. And you know, anytime you get a guy from Miami, you're going to get someone who plays hard. You know, has a pretty good work ethic. And you know, from stuff that I've seen from Johnson already, he's really ramming home the point of organizing the guys, organizing himself, and organizing the team on the floor. So he's definitely got the attitude of a point guard, even though some of his tools, you know, his handle can be a little bit loose. And, you know, he's not a, a natural point guard. He definitely comes uh, as an undersized shooting guard to the NBA. But yeah, I just love his work ethic, Max, and his attitude. And mm-hmm. um, he's found, found himself in a, a leadership role essentially he's only 26 years old but on this team with how much youth uh, the Suns have he's going to kind of be a vet for the rest of the season here and maybe even longer yeah you know what he is the word that just sticks out in my mind and it's kind of a silly thing to say because all these guys technically are this but he's a professional yep he's just a professional at what he does he knows how to play NBA basketball as a guard and I totally agree with you on the work ethic thing and he just the thing about on him on defense is he's not the most you know gifted guy in terms of like length and size or anything but he's constantly trying uh, he was poking away some balls a couple times last night, particularly in the first half. 
uh, just getting in people's faces, making it tough on the other team. Like that's one thing the Suns sometimes have trouble doing is making it tough on the other team to score. Yep, <laughs> they, they're bad at that sometimes. Uh, and Tyler Johnson just gets in people's faces. I, I really like him. I think he fits really well with guys like Ubre and Mikel. Uh, they kind of make sense together to me. Yep, the one that's that stands out for me last night is where he got right up in Curry's face on the wing, uh, and and poked the ball up and then outlept him. Uh, to to get the loose ball from Curry, who yes. you know was essentially uh, typifying how the Warriors started out that game. Curry had you know no intention of jumping for that ball, and uh, TJ just wanted it more, uh, or Tyler, I should say, just wanted it more. We're gonna have a bit of trouble differentiating between Tyler <laughs> yeah. Johnson and and TJ Warren. I, I will note that uh, his nickname on Basketball Reference is Bumpy Max. If we want to go with what with that, so uh, I, I'm what the hell is that? <laughs> I, I'm gonna guess that maybe it's. A a really cruel nickname dedicated towards uh, his complexion a little bit there, maybe. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I'm probably not going to roll with that one. I'm going to maybe just call him Tyler or, or Johnson. But well, I had I had really bad acne in high school, so I will never call somebody bumpy. That's just rude. That it sucks to have that going on. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not one that I'm going to roll with. But you know, there's been a few other comparisons or things. Um, there's another uh, cruel nickname that I'm not going to even repeat that I don't like that I've seen. For for Tyler as well, which I'm sure many people Jesus. listening has uh, has gone with. But um, yeah, I think probably my question to you here: you, you brought up Bridges and Ubre there. So what's uh, what's your ideal lineup? I think we're probably going to agree on this, and we might even agree that we're very unlikely to see this lineup, Max. But what would your starting five be, say post All Star, when everyone is healthy? Hopefully, fingers crossed, and uh, <laughs> they've had a little bit of a break, and, and Tyler's been able to learn the playbook. Yeah, the cross more than your fingers to keep Booker healthy. <laughs> uh, I think it, I think you're right. We're going to agree on this. I think it's Tyler, Booker, Mikel, Ubre, and uh, Aiton. Yep, yep. And uh, the the lineup will probably see Max. What do you think? Uh, that except for you can go ahead and put T.J. Warren instead of uh, Ubre. Yeah, which is which is seriously disappointing because if we think about the the rest of the year, it should be you know auditioning and, and trying out a few things. I think we've seen enough from TJ at the four. We know what he's going to bring and and what he's not going to bring. Uh, you know, if they if they're really considering signing Ubre again this summer, you know, if for that money that it's going to cost, uh, I'd really like to see him in with the starters, Max, because uh, that's the ultimate audition and. Uh, it's the ultimate audition as well of, of putting the right pieces around Point Book because mm-hmm. you know it's not enough to just say we're going with Point Book and see how it's going to go. You've kind of got to you've got to give him the right pieces to work with as well to uh, you know see it at, at its optimal state. Yep, I definitely agree with that. And I have I have sort of a off topic, not really off topic, uh, tangent for you though. Yep. Uh, question: What did you think about Bender and Aiton last night in that first quarter? That that was a pretty encouraging sign for them especially on defense yeah this this came up just earlier actually with a, a friend of ours on twitter jeff allen who is a, mm-hmm. a bender advocate and you know he was sort of raising that that kind of first quarter in the game really showed why uh Aiton needs another you know true big next to him and, and bender's really the the only guy on the roster that, that fits that mold so you know he was kind of advocating for bender continuing to be the starting power forward even when tj warren is back so yeah i think you know the points that he was making which i think you're essentially trying to allude to here is it certainly helps the rebounding uh it helps just the overall length in the paint and it allows them to play i guess a little more chaos 
ball on the perimeter knowing that they've got those two behind them there. Yeah, I'd be interested to see them try that a little more. Maybe not necessarily starting, but just do it. And then also uh, Holmes and Aiton would be interesting to see together a little bit. I think that in a lot of Igor's done a lot of experimenting. I think, but I would like to see him experiment with the four more with those big guys. That's something that I we haven't seen very much of at all this season. But I mean, if it last has any indication, it was something they maybe should be trying to do more of. Yeah, the the thing that's really hurting Bender, and I noticed after his breakaway dunk last night that he. Uh, wrung his hand out and he's got some strapping around that hand but mm. the thing that's that's really hurting him right now is the shot just yeah. sucks it yeah. just is not falling at all it, and it may have something to do with that right hand strapping i'm guessing because uh you know we saw last year he's a competent shooter from three and it's just completely fallen off this season in the so. first quarter of last night's game he missed like three or four that were like man they're almost all of them were like big ones that would have like mattered yeah That's... and we've seen that uh, a lot and you know that would probably go a long way to convincing Igor to maybe keep going with it for a while whereas yeah where Warren's back there's obviously the ego thing the paycheck thing but we also can't just remove ourselves from the fact that Warren's been the best shooter from three so that that's why Igor's probably going to go back there more than anything but swinging back to to Tyler here to finish off the on-court stuff you know he's a 36% shooter from three so and mostly off the catch and shoot he, he can't really create for himself or create off the dribble so that's a pretty good fit with with point book and um, you know, what else do you think we can see? You know, I think he was very rusty last night, as you said, one from 11 from the field, but also uh, Igor just had to take him out in those important minutes because he just didn't quite know where to be or, or how to run the offense. But, you know, I think once he learns that kind of stuff, he, he's going to be an asset out on the floor, as you said, just with his confidence and, you know, willingness to penetrate and move the ball, Max. I think he's going to play a lot on this team because yep. Igor has been just searching for someone he can trust with the ball in his hands other than Booker. Mm-hmm. Like all Igor wants to do is not have Booker play point guard. That's like the goal of his life. And uh, this is like finally like, the first reasonable opportunity he has to do that without the team being awful. Yep. Uh, you know, his previous option that he kept going to was obviously, well, it, initially it was Isaiah Cannon, which yep. is terrible. Yep. And then it was Jamal Crawford and it has been Jamal Crawford, which is obviously also terrible and it, it was Melton when Melton was playing better and obviously was healthy yeah but uh, now he has like the best option he's had all season to do that by far to get to be a poker playing off guard so I think we're gonna see uh man 35 minutes a game out of, out of Tyler Johnson I wouldn't be surprised at all would you no I wouldn't be surprised and it, it should also coincide I tweeted this last night as soon as Booker's healthy it, it should really coincide with no more Jamal Crawford I'd be very surprised yeah, so. if we see much of him because you'll all of a sudden have uh, Booker and Tyler together, and then you'll be wanting to get minutes into Okobo and Melton as well when he's healthy. So, yeah, as you say, for the first time, Igor will have various options to go to, and I think he'll be uh, pointing towards Tyler a lot of the time as the guy to throw out there in, in crunch time. But talking to some Miami friends of mine and, and watching you know more of Tyler in the last few days, I think a couple of things I wanted to leave the listeners with with the on-court stuff. He's really great in the open court. We didn't see a lot of that but he's super athletic, mm-hmm. um, a little bit uh, 
under the radar from that perspective. And uh, a lot of my Miami friends have told me that, you know, due to Miami's pace, they play super, super slow. And as we know, Phoenix want to play really fast. So we might actually see an uptick in Tyler from that perspective because, you know, Miami's offense and and the way that they play didn't really suit Mm -hmm. um, Tyler down to the ground. And he comes off curls a lot too, which is just something that I wanted to add because, you know, that's really in Igor's wheelhouse. And uh, I'd look for that for for Suns fans as they start to, you know, build sets that actually include Tyler because I think one thing we've seen when Booker's got the ball, there's not enough weapons in the offense to kind of use the space that's created by, uh, you know, all the gravity that Aiton and Booker have. So, Kind of look for for TJ to he's he's really great at coming off screens in the mid range and and kind of making uh, use of that space with with both jump shots and floaters too Max so uh, that's just some stuff that we might be able to see from TJ for the rest of the season. It's great it's gonna be great to see those two uh, Booker and uh, TJ play together. I was thinking the other day that you know, about the trade and I was thinking man I think this is the first time Booker's gonna play with a capable NBA guard since the Bledsoe trade. And, and Booker was not uh, very good back then. Like, he's been a lot better now. Yep. So it's going to be interesting to see that uh, his dynamic when he's, like you're saying, a guy who can actually come off curls and, and shoot. And I think they can play off each other. That's going to be really fun to watch. I think it's going to help Booker a lot. Uh, I think it, I think we'll see... I think we probably would have seen an increase in Booker's three-point percentage going forward anyway. Because yep. he's just a better shooter than he's been. But I think it's this is going to be a trigger for it. It's going to be a lot easier for him to get some of his shots off. Yeah, we, we ran through all those guards in, in Did You Know last week. And uh, I think mm. it's a great point by you. Many people bring up Bledsoe, but as you say... Booker wasn't anywhere close to the player that he is now uh, when Bledsoe was on the team. So, yeah, I think it's exciting. And uh, as far as the on-court stuff goes, it definitely, while it wasn't the biggest splash uh, before the trade deadline, it gives us something new to, to look at for the last 20, 25 games of the season, Max. Yep, it is at the very least that. And if it gets Jamal Crawford out of my life, I'll be very, very happy. Man, David, <laughs> uh, he was really bad last night, wasn't he? <laughs> He was he was really really bad and you know I saw uh, a lot of Igor criticism with that I think you know that's always going to come as long as Crawford's playing and and leads are, are being swallowed up by opposition teams I guess I just thought that uh, he didn't really have much of another option last night uh, with Yeah I was going to say that I'm the number one uh, Igor critic when it comes to Jamal Crawford even I understood that he kind of had to play him last night or somebody else Yeah and but yeah I guess I'd jump on the back of that and say I'll definitely be uh, jumping on with everyone else with my criticism if we continue to see Crawford once this rotation's healthy because there's just no reason for for Crawford minutes going down the stretch, particularly when you add in that this stretch run should all be all about the development of guys that are going to be playing next year and I, I would suspect that Jamal Crawford isn't on the roster next season Max. I might have to just stop being a Suns fan if he's on the roster <laughs> next season David I can't handle that anymore. <laughs> the last thing I'd just say on Tyler Johnson is I think it probably means we'll have about 15 million dollars in space. You can get up to around 25 if they let Holmes and, and Ubre go uh, and then TJ has that player option which would open up like 42 million if they can somehow manage for TJ to opt out of that. But I would say that that is highly, highly unlikely. And we're going to make it suck really bad to be here. (laughs) Exactly. So hopefully that's not the case, but as we said before, he'd be an expiring contract and you know, we, we won't touch on it this episode because there's going to be many, many episodes in the off season that we're going to be able to talk about what the Suns can do in the off season. But yeah, I think this team rather than the cap space is probably going to be looking to make quite a few trades in the off season. 
season. And, you know, we saw just this trade deadline gone. Zach Randolph went in the, the Harrison Barnes deal. Uh, Jabari Parker was used in the Otto Porter Jr. deal. Chandler was used in the Tobias Harris deal. That's Wilson Chandler. And DeAndre Jordan and Wes Matthews were both used in the Porzingis deal. So, you know, that just goes to show, you know, expirings of around $15, $20 million can be quite valuable when your team looks to make a, a splash with a, a bigger type deal. So I'd look out for that too with, with Johnson. Yeah, so would I. And I, I do want to, before we move on, make one point I forgot to make. Uh, when you were talking earlier about how the Suns sort of you know they've they've cut into their cap space for this. I actually think it's uh, it's impressive that the Suns are viewing themselves honestly. Yep. <laughs> and understanding that uh, the three million dollar extra next season uh, into the cap is it's more important to get a guard who's stabilized now and 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 later than it is to have dreams about guys you're not actually going to get. A hundred percent. And and these last twenty twenty five games can actually be really important for as a springboard for definitely for next season. So I I definitely agree with that, but. You know, pivoting to what they didn't do, I guess, at the trade deadline, Max. I, I kind of knew that we were done. There was a, a certain article from uh, Dwayne Rankin, I think it was, the night before the trade deadline that basically said that TJ and, and JJ weren't on the block and that Lonzo Ball uh, hadn't been spoken about with the Lakers and the Suns. I don't actually believe either of those things, but once that was being reported, I kind of took that as... Uh, the Suns not really having anything in the works for the final day. Yeah, I, I read that article more as like they just knew they weren't going to be able to trade them. Like they, you know, everything they, they basically talked to every team in the league that was talking to people. The, the whole market had been assessed, and they realized there was nothing out there for them. So to me, it was less that oh, it's, it's less that oh, we're not trading these guys. They're off the block. You know, they're untradeable now. More that oh, we know what's out there, and there's just no trades. <laughs> Yep, I, it was a bit of a PR push, I thought, to make sure that th those guys yeah. didn't see their name out there too much. And also, I guess, to temper expectations going into the last day on, on Lonzo Ball to kind of say, oh, we hadn't really spoken about him, so don't expect anything there. But probably the first one that did happen to look at and that I've seen Suns fans talk about is probably Markel Fultz, Max. Yeah, I saw some of that too. People, I think there was, I don't, I think it wasn't an overwhelming response that the Suns should have gotten involved, but there were certain those out there who thought they should have yep. for the price. I'm not among them, man. I mean, I get, I get the upside. I get that appeal. Uh, the Suns just, I don't think this is the right place for him. I don't think it would have made a lot of sense. I think he, when he would have played it would have looked really ugly because, yep. as everyone knows, he can't shoot. I just think he would have been a really tough fit on this team. Defense is pretty good, but I don't know, man. I I feel bad for the kid, but at this at this stage, all you can really characterize him is a head case. Yep. And the Suns are not a place for head cases right now. I, don't, I think he went to a better spot. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I feel good for him now because I think there's been a, a lot of yeah. articles already written that Orlando is seeing this as a long-term thing and, and not going to put too much pressure on him. And that isn't what we would have seen at the Suns. He would have been another project with uh, a high expectation to come in and contribute straight away. So I think he's kind of found a, a good situation. Mm -hmm. He's already tweeted himself as a you know five or six-year-old in a magic jersey so he's feeling mm, cool. good about himself which is pretty cool but all I would touch on with that it was it was an OKC first a Cleveland second and Jonathan Simmons that went out 
to Philly, and I had a quick look at that. I reckon the Phoenix package that matches that the best is the Milwaukee pick, our own second, and someone like Troy Daniels. And at that price, there's absolutely no way that I would have traded for Markel Fultz. Yeah, I think I don't even think Troy Daniels would have been enough, right? It would have been have to have been Bender, maybe? Is he enough money? You would you would throw Bender in as salary, right. yeah. But I think just in terms of the pieces that, that Philly got out of it, right, that right, would be... Right. A, a package that the Suns would have had I, to I put together. I think you made which... the big point, the, the right point here about Orlando just kind of being ready to take the long-term view with him. The, 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 Orlando and Phoenix, even though Orlando's been rebuilding for a while now, and they're actually sort of like better than the Suns are right now, yep. it still feels like they're in a, a very early stage of development, right? They haven't had their young star, Booker, for a while. Yep. They, they just got Bamba and Isaac. Um, now they just got false. It seems like they're more... I don't think there's a lot of pressure on them to contend in like two years, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. Whereas the Suns, I think everyone's ready for the Booker Dayton thing to work and then just to, just to be ready, right? And, and Fultz is not, not the piece for that. Yeah, I think I like the move for them. I, I wouldn't have liked the move for the Suns. And, you know, what we're doing here is we're looking at the deals that actually did happen and, and whether the Suns should have got involved because right. you can look at, and we will do it, we'll touch on a little bit about what didn't happen, but when you're, I guess, criticizing the Suns or critiquing what they did at the deadline, it's it's best to look at, you know, what other deals actually got made as right. what might have been available to the Suns rather than pie in the sky stuff. So another guy we spoke about quite a lot was Nikola Mirotic, who landed in a, a perfect spot, but the price there was, you know, Thon Maker and four second round picks so mm-hmm. I think the Suns don't even have extra seconds at the moment we've even got one owing to Brooklyn I think as part of the Jared Dudley trade mm-hmm. so that's another one where I guess it probably would have been a first or maybe even a first and some to to match that package that uh, Milwaukee ended up giving up for him so that's another one that we just I guess wouldn't have even been able to do and you know maybe he's there in unrestricted free agency in the summer max yeah two of those seconds also were Washington's right and like back to back years Washington's turning into a cesspool so those are actually some pretty attractive second round picks uh, I guess ours would be too because you know who wouldn't want Phoenix's picks <laughs> but uh, yeah I'm, I'm with you I think it would have taken like, the Milwaukee pick and our second and obviously the match's salary was something yeah I don't know I don't think I don't think it was realistic for us to go get Meritage so I'm not upset about the fact that we didn't yep and we only really saw two other point guards dealt uh, Shelvin Mack was one which was essentially a salary dump to Atlanta I believe and he's going to get waived there so the Suns might even if they are interested they'd be able to sign Mack without giving anything up and uh, DeLon Wright went in the Gasol deal but I think the important thing there is that Toronto probably wouldn't have looked to have dealt right just in a sideways move for an asset he, he really was the you know one of the prizes in that deal for Gasol which we'll get into a little bit later so again I don't think the Suns were really in either of those ones they could get Mac still if they wanted but you know that probably leads me to my question would you look at a guy like Mac as a buyout candidate or you know with TJ coming in should we just be rolling with you know point book and, and developing the point guards that we already have for the rest of the season I guess I kind of have a two-part answer here. First, I think it, a lot of it depends on how Tyler Johnson looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's if he takes you know hits the ground running with Booker and everything's great, and Melton comes back and he's awesome in the backup role, maybe there's not a lot of room for him. He's played pretty well this season, though. He's been a good player. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Here's the other part of my answer. I wouldn't be surprised if a, if a contenderish playoffish team wanted him. Yeah, and uh, he went he went with that route because generally these you don't see a lot of buyout guys signing with the worst teams in the league. You do not. No, he he will have 
teams, I guess, lining up to have him as insurance as their third point guard because he's a very capable floor general, I think. And yeah, that's a good point by you is you don't often see a lot of these guys uh, get waived and then sign with one of the worst teams in the league unless it's to, you know, maybe start or something like that for Shelvin Mack going going into free agency. But Mm -hmm. probably my only criticism of the Suns at the deadline, Max, is there were a few power forwards traded and for really not much at all. So, you know, what we touched on before with Bender potentially starting with Ayton and how much that did or does help DeAndre Ayton in those starting minutes, I, I probably would have liked, you know, you see Jermichael Green, for instance, uh, go in that Avery Bradley deal, which was basically a nothing move for... for that trade uh, made no sense to me at all from anyone's perspective. It's just the weirdest trade I've ever seen in my life. Really, really weird. The only thing that made sense is the Clippers, who had a very smart deadline, and, and you keep touching on just how smart they have been with Jerry West being involved. Mm-hmm. They essentially they get off uh, $2 million of Bradley's money next season, which isn't huge, particularly if you stretched it, but it's $2 million that they don't have to spend and now have in cap space, and it looks like they're going to go maybe all in in the summer for you know some of the big-time free agents. So that was, I guess, the main motivation for the move. I don't know why Memphis did it at all, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, yeah when you see that kind of price point, yeah, I wouldn't have minded going for someone like Jermichael Green. The other guy who went was uh, Bobby Portis, who had a massive night in his first game for the Washington Wizards, and he's another you know big-time energy player that... I picked him um, up in fantasy, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> but again, that was a, like Delon, right I think that was a throw in in a a, quite a big deal so you probably wouldn't have been able to get him on his own but you know maybe Jermichael Green is is the one miss the Suns uh, potentially didn't go for here uh, at the trade deadline, which wouldn't have cost much at all and, and would have been a good look as a, a starting power forward. You but, would have been great. Isn't he shooting like 40% from three this year? That would have been a really nice fit next to and decent defender too. Yeah, always been a, a really big fan of Jermichael. And uh, I think, you know, Jaron Jackson coming to that team and some injuries kind of, you know, made this season not the greatest for him. But uh, yeah, green at that price, I think would have been a, a good move for the Suns. So... I think that's probably... So the thing there, though, is, like, we both have said we have no idea what the hell Memphis was doing, right? They traded Jermichael... I don't think we even stated the trade yet. They traded Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple, right? Correct. So what? why the hell do they want Avery Bradley? Avery Bradley is, like, really, really bad. Are they trying to just, like, teach... Oh, who's, the, who's the young guard from uh, from Virginia they got that, that we loved in the draft? Carter? Yeah, they're trying to have Avery Bradley just uh, teach Javon Carter how to play. I, I, I just don't get it. It's so weird to me. It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, it, really weird deal. Uh, and probably a good way to pivot to, you know, what didn't happen at the deadline. Because, you know, we our, our number one guy was Troy Daniels, which we thought the Suns might get off for a second round pick or something. But we didn't really see any of those deals. I think James Ennis was probably the only legit guy going out to a team for a second round pick. And even that had some tax implications for Houston. So that wasn't even a straightforward giving up a guy for a second round pick. So yeah, I think that Memphis deal was really, really weird for what they took back. But I guess guys like Temple, Jermichael Green, Troy Daniels, you know, all these other guys just didn't really have a market. And I think that's got a lot to do with the way that the buyout system is going, Max, which I'll touch on a little bit later in seven seconds or less. But I just, I hate 
that rule and I hate the way that the NBA is set up and I think it's another thing where players and agents have way more power than what they should it teams just can't trade guys anymore like that for for even small assets at the deadline yeah the buyout rules i agree with you the buyout market's a little ridiculous i I don't like it either i I also think the other half of this is it seems like teams are valuing their second round picks more than they ever have before yep yeah i think the teams think are either getting smarter or at least think they're getting smarter and think they can find guys in the second round yeah. Uh, so that seems to be what's going on. I, I, for example, the the Miritich trade. I don't. The, I cannot remember a trade where uh, a really you know solid, valuable player got traded for four second round picks. <laughs> That's not something that usually happens. No. And you know, if the other offers, I think, and I was going to touch on this later again. I think Toronto was maybe sniffing around Miritich, and maybe that was their first or something. And if you're the Pelicans, you you probably take. Stanley Johnson and four seconds over a crappy first round pick. So that was a, an interesting deal. But yeah. yeah, Daniels wasn't traded and the Suns will essentially hold on to him for the rest of the season now, I suspect. And, you know, Warren was the other one. I hope the Suns at least sniffed around for what might have been available, even as a bit of a data grabbing exercise for maybe the draft time and, and the summer for what his value might be. But it's it's kind of hard to see a trade like Warren's if you look at the rest of the deals that were done at the deadline. Yeah, teams aren't teams aren't trading for contracts like Warren's for players who aren't stars. That's just not something that's going on. Yeah. Um so it's not surprising to me they didn't trade Warren. I I, I can almost guarantee you they were trying. You made the point earlier, Dwayne Rankin's article coming out uh, that night, I think that was a uh, sign to him. We're not trading you, Warren, even though we've been talking about you for weeks. Definitely. Yeah, I'm glad you, you come back to that because, yeah, I think that was definitely what that uh, PR push was. And probably the last group of things that didn't happen is uh, for all the rumors, we didn't see Rubio moved. We surprisingly didn't see Conley moved after they moved Gasol. Yeah. Uh, and both Drew Holiday and, and Lonzo Ball stayed put after the, the AD stuff, you know, essentially came to a standstill. So no real surprises there other than maybe Mike Conley, Max? I'm moderately surprised with the Conley thing. I think they were trying to move and they just weren't getting the kind of offers they thought they were going to be getting. Yeah. And I think they probably actually think, and so this happens sometimes, even though he's older, I think when he has another year kicked off his deal and he's next year, he might actually have a little more value. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of PR moves, there was a push pretty much straight away at the deadline that it was all about him being a mentor for Jaron Jackson, which <laughs> I'm sure he's a, a good leader in the locker room, but I don't think that's the sole reason why you don't move him if you've got capable deals on the table. So yeah, I think to your point, I think there'll be a market again. So definitely one to watch going into the summer with Conley and, and probably Rubio too. You know, I think those rumors initially really surprised me and, and may hurt the relationship a bit long-term. So for someone who uh, is keen on Rubio on the Suns, Max, I, um, I'm not too worried about him not getting moved at the deadline because I think he's probably out of Utah and he'd be one of my main targets if I was the Suns with that, you know, $15 million in space that they're likely to have. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to be talking a lot about Rick Rubio in the next couple of months, and especially <laughs> at Warfare Agents, because I think he's going to be somebody who's linked to the Suns constantly given the Eeyore connection, yep. given the obvious need at point guard, given his skill set, with I think with Booker makes a lot of sense. Yep. Uh, so we're going to be hearing about him a ton. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd probably just ask you if your number one target for point guard has changed at all post deadline max or, or if you're still honed in on the same guy i'm definitely honed in on rubio for now um i don't know yeah i just i need to see the draft the draft is gonna be it's always key yep 
But I need, I need to see what happens there because, I mean, there's a chance they end up drafting John Morant. That'll change everything, sort of. Although, if, even if you do that, I don't know if that really precludes you from, from get, getting out of Rubio. No, so, I think... I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I think John Morant would definitely change uh, the type of point guard the Suns might chase, but you'd be looking for more of a yeah veteran guy stopgap while Morant uh, develops. So that might change, I guess, the number one priorities for sure. So that's a decent point by you there. Yeah, um, we'll see. I, I don't know yet. I, I'm still processing my thoughts on this. I Honestly, I still think uh, Lonzo Ball is really interesting for the Suns because even if the Lakers don't end up getting Anthony Davis, there is some stuff going on there with Lonzo and that, that organization. And it wouldn't totally shock me if he were traded. Did you see that story about how Magic Johnson didn't really want him and was convinced by Jeannie Buss to take him and the allegations were because of like marketing reasons? I did not see that story and that's very, very yeah. interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought Lonzo Ball up because uh, my last note in this section here is Ball will be available again, question mark, and I think mm-hmm. you've nailed it on the head there. Yeah, it would not shock me if he is, especially like around the draft time. I think you could see... So here's a here's something that'd be really interesting. Say the Suns end up like fourth, right, in the, in the lottery, mm-hmm. and you know Lakers are obviously back channeling with the with the Pelicans, and if they realize that you know the Pelicans would value the fourth pick in the draft more than they'd value Lonzo Ball, then all of a sudden you know that's that's an interesting discussion. Yep, for sure. But uh, let's move on, and we'll have plenty of time for that discussion in the future. I'm sure. Yes, we will. All right, David, give us some did you know. Well, Max, I always like to work in the theme of the current episode into Did You Know? So, of course, this week we're going to discuss Tyler Johnson. Mm. But, Max, did you know Tyler Johnson will become the Suns' highest paid player this season at $19.3 million? He signed an Arenas rule offer sheet with Brooklyn in restricted free agency for $50 million total, which meant the final two years were at a much higher rate. He takes over that mantle from Ryan Anderson, who was traded the other way to Miami, as we said, and will still hold the title of the highest played player on the team's books for the season at $20.4 million. Ryan Anderson, that is. Devin Booker's likely to hold that title for the next five years, though, when his extension kicks in. But Max, how many of the highest paid sons can you name since the team last made the playoffs? I'll give you a little clue. There's six players over eight seasons, who have ended the season as the highest-paid player on the Suns. Who have you got for me? Ooh, um, Bledsoe? Yep, so three seasons for Bledsoe, 12 million, 13 million, and 14 million from uh, 15 to 2017. If it's since they made the playoffs, that would still include Nash, right? No, Nash isn't included. No. I'll bring uh-huh. the next guy in here, Vince Carter, at eighteen point three million <laughs> and seventeen point three million in two thousand and eleven and two thousand and ten. That's insane. Okay, well, Brandon Knight was he on there? Brandon Knight doesn't make it in, unfortunately. Mm, Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe last season sixteen point three million. So we've got two to go, and I'd be very surprised if you get either. Can you give me the years? In thirteen fourteen and twelve thirteen. Jeez, uh, man. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and pass on this one, David. Who is it? Emeka Okafor at $14.4 million in 2013. And Goran Dragic okay. earned $7.5 million in 2013 and was the highest paid what? player on the Phoenix that, Suns. That sounds nearly impossible. <laughs> 
Yep, there was a, a large chunk of guys that all earned around that mark, so that's how the cap got filled up. But huh. now back to Tyler Johnson, Max. Undrafted in 2014, Johnson went to college at Fresno State, who also produced my favorite player in the NBA, Paul George. He only had three draft workouts in the lead-up to the draft. The Lakers, where he was basically the chair for a Dante Exum <laughs> workout I read, the Warriors, where he was from, and the main front office staff weren't even in attendance for that workout, apparently. And then the Miami Heat. Despite going undrafted, he did end up on the Heat Summer League team, then on their G League affiliate, before eventually signing a pair of 10-day contracts in January 2015, and a full deal a month later in February. It was only a month after that in March when Tyler Johnson scored his season high in points of 26 against none other than the Phoenix Suns. Mm. His points high has since increased to 32, but Johnson's career high in steals still comes against the Suns when he had five in March of 2017, Max. Now, we saw him wear number 16 in his debut for the Suns against the Warriors, becoming just the third Sun to wear that number behind two guys... I'd never heard of Max, so I'm not going to ask you who they were. It was Lamar Green in 69-74 to and Yorgi Klushkov in 1985. I love Yorgi Klushkov, one of my all-time favorites. (laughs) Uh, The number eight he wore in Miami was already taken by George King, and number six and 33 from his Fresno State days are retired in Phoenix in dedication to Walter Davis and Alvin Adams. I'm sure anyone seeing him for the first time the other night noticed he is another lefty, joining Ali Kobo and Kelly Oubre on the current roster. But Max, I wanted to ask you and the listeners as well to think about it. Who's your favorite Suns lefty, either current or from the past? Oh man, I gotta think about that. Well, current, it's just Kelly Oubre by a mile. I'm in love with Kelly Oubre right now. <laughs> I seriously, I don't care if he's good or not. Give that guy all the money. I just love him. <laughs> yep. All time, I gotta think about that. Uh, what's your answer? Uh, I'd probably go Goran. Okay, you know who I ruined? Not with the Suns. I loved Michael Red a lot. Ooh. He wasn't big with the Suns, but I loved him. Yep, and he sneaks in as a Sun, so we'll take his whole career there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a great answer. I, I like that one. But before and during his time in the NBA, though, Max Tyler Johnson has thoroughly deserved his reputation as a hardworking, no-nonsense player who has deserved everything that came his way. He first lost two teeth on the court during his sophomore college season when a guy landed on the back of his head, Max, and forced his teeth into the hardwood of the court. Good God. He got curb stomped. Johnson says he's lost six or seven teeth now with the last when he suffered a broken jaw in 2015 with the Heat. He's had his fair share of injuries and earned his tough image within the league, which culminates, Max, in my favorite Tyler Johnson story that I've read so far, and it was while he was rehabbing from a torn rotator cuff with the Heat. Renowned as the kind of guy who did extra sessions on his own, Heat coach Eric Spolstra had to bring Johnson into his office and show him arena security footage of Johnson being caught coming into the gym around midnight to do on-court work when he was supposed to be (laughs) staying off to rehab his shoulder. Wow. Johnson's going to set a great example for the Suns' young core, I think, and... At just 26 years old, as we said, he becomes one of their vets. Now, Max, after talking about Tyler's incredible journey to the NBA, it was only fair to tie in one last bonus did-you-know fact to end the segment. So, 
Did you know Tyler Johnson is the 47th highest paid player in the NBA for this current season? And did you know he's the highest paid undrafted player in the entire league, Max? Wow. That's right. He's the only undrafted player in the top 50. A top 50 that includes six number one picks, 26 further lottery picks, 11 more first round picks, and six second round picks. So to end, Max... How many of the second round picks in the top 50 highest paid players can you name? There's six. Uh, Jokic's contract is kicked in already or no? Yes, that's one. Okay. Um, Is Draymond up there? He is not quite. Not quite. He's a little under TJ, right? Just under. Yeah. I remember he signed something kind of under market. God, who are the other really good second round picks? This is annoying me now. Um, all right. I'm mad at myself because I should have gotten a few of these, but go ahead. Uh, another Miami player. Oh, it's got to be Whiteside. Yeah, Whiteside, yep. Uh, another big that was just traded to the Knicks. Who was just traded to the Knicks? Oh, 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 uh, DeAndre Jordan. Correct. Uh, another big that was just traded and we're about to talk about very soon to Toronto, Max. Marcus Gasol. I forgot he's a second rounder. Correct. Uh, another Memphis player who I believe is rejoining the team after they couldn't dump his horrible contract. Oh, Parsons. Yep. And uh, along with Jokic, another Denver Nugget, Max. Millsap. Isn't Millsap like one of the highest paid players in the entire league? Yep. And he was drafted at number 47. So that's it, Max. Time to jump into the rest of the trade deadline from a league-wide point of view, as we said. Awesome. Thanks, David. That was fun. I like uh, like how you give me clues that time. That was nice of you. All right, so yeah, we're going to jump into the Around the NBA thing. We're not going to talk about every single trade because, as David said, there were 21 of them, and a lot of them were interesting. Mm -hmm. The keys here are going to be what the the main four in the East did because I think that's not only going to be the story of the trade deadline. It's going to be maybe the story of the season Yep, uh, is these four teams. The Philadelphia 76ers, Milwaukee Bucks, Toronto Raptors, Boston Celtics seem inevitably headed for a second-round Eastern matchup for the ages. Uh, And only one of them didn't really do a major move. We'll get to them last. Yep. Let's start with the Philadelphia 76ers who probably made the biggest move. David, we talked a little bit already. I, I mentioned that I thought it was like one of those trades that took a while to process and develop an opinion on. But uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your initial thoughts and then maybe how your thoughts have changed if they have? Yeah, this is the perfect one as you brought up earlier in the episode where my initial reaction was wow, that is a ridiculous amount to give up for Tobias Harris. I think I even tweeted mm-hmm. something along the lines of, I guess that's star hunting because <laughs> the Miami the Miami pick was included, which they obviously referenced with that Suns trade that uh, they were going to use it to hunt a star. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I love the Harris fit on Philly. I'm still thinking that they maybe gave up a little bit too much than what they had to to the Clippers, but Philly's all in. They're just going for this, and I think it's a great move. Probably the best starting five in the East now, Max. I don't think that's too hot of a take. I agree with that. I think it's close with the Bucks, probably. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I I love that Boban stays with Tobias Harris. (laughs) They're both unrestricted free agents too, so there should be a deal there for both of them. Marai Brothers style, I think, there, but... You also gotta love uh, Boban joining and beard. Like, what a what a buddy cop movie that would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a lot for Brett Brown to work out in these last kind of 20, 25 games. I think it's a huge play if, if Harris works, but, you know, if it doesn't, he can walk away, and they've just given up a, a pretty massive package, which we should, in, you know, say includes uh, your boy Landry Shamit, a 2021st, 
the Miami pick and two seconds on top of that. So, you know, it's a really big package here, Max. Yeah, and so I guess since you focus on Philadelphia, I'll focus on the Clippers. I will very quickly say that I, I think it's like a – I get it for Philly. I, they're going all in. I give it like a B for them. It's it's a risky gamble, but I, I could definitely pay off. Yep. But for the Clippers, it's just like an A, plus, 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 plus. Put a million pluses on the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Like, they could not have done better here. They they – I think they would have been okay signing Harris in free agency if they didn't get their bigger fish. But I, I think they're, they're playing A, obviously. They're, they're trying to go after the big guys like Durant, Kawhi, Irving, da- Davis. That's that's their main goal here. And they just gave themselves just a much better chance at that. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty telling that it seemed like as soon as this trade happened, the, the Lakers, Pelicans, Hawks were just dead. Because now the Pelicans have uh, another team in the bidding no matter what next summer. Because the, the nightmare scenario for the Pelicans was going to be they get stuck with, you know, Kyrie uh, leaves Boston and, oh, oh, all you have is the Lakers now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so and they can just lower their offer. But now you're, you're guaranteed to have a couple teams in the bidding now because the Clippers are going to be in it. So it's a huge win for the Pelicans, actually. But uh, also a huge win for the Clippers. The Clippers are now going to have... I, I, I did some rough, like, back-of-the-envelope calculations on, the, on their salary cap, David. Yep. If, if they do a trade centered around uh, Gallinari around the draft and are able to, you know, say their lottery pick ends up being, assuming they stay in the lottery, ends up being, you know, decent. Say they get number four, something they get lucky. Yep. They can make a draft day deal centered around Gallinari and, and that pick and all the assets they got in this trade. And I think they could still preserve room for two max slots around Davis, which would just be absolutely ridiculous. Because I think the roster, now, especially now that they made this the trade, uh, uh, Avery Bradley. Yep. I'm pretty sure they can get to the point where they basically just have Anthony Davis in the roster, and that's it. <laughs> that would be something to uh, to see for sure. And yeah, you know, I think with Gallo, even we we can't rule out that the Pelicans are going to want some sort of mixture of like ready to go guys plus mm-hmm. draft capital. So you know, he may even be a valuable contract to use in the Anthony Davis. Um, yeah, we well, also expires next year. He's really good yeah, for them. Yeah, so perfect, perfect. Which is, I think, where the Lakers fall down. They they've kind of got all these young guys. Uh, that haven't reached their potential, and they also don't really have any kind of existing guys to to ship over to the Pelicans. But pivoting back to Philly here, I think it's a bit of an audition for both Harris and Butler. Mm. I'm not convinced, even though they have said that they're gonna, you know, try and re-sign all four guys. I'm not convinced that's the case. I feel like it's maybe even a bit of an audition for which one fits better with Embiid and, and Simmons, Max. So if you could only have one of the two going forward in Philly at the same amount of money, who would you pick? I've seen this question uh, posed on Twitter and polls and stuff. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Because Jimmy Butler, I think, is pretty clearly a better player right now. Yep. But, man, Harris is... people. I mean, everyone says this. It's one of of those people forgets that people say that all the time, so no one's forgetting it. Mm -hmm. But Tobias Harris is young. He's like 26 still. Yeah. Um, And that fits a little better with the Embiid-Simmons timeline, for sure. Uh, and maybe also has a little more upside. You know, players can get better at that age. I mean, Tobias Harris himself has gotten a lot better over the past couple of years. Yeah, and he's he's only one more leap away from a team finally believing in him and and not trying to yeah, right. flip him over to to another team. But I think it's Harris. But just to answer your question, though, I think it's Harris. I think it's Harris for me. Yeah, I've I've gone Harris too, purely from the shooting mm-hmm. uh, and the age perspective, which you brought up. I think both of those two uh, kind of tip the scales. He's a also bit. not a dick, from what I know. <laughs> <laughs> which helps. 
one of the nicest guys in the NBA, if you kind of believe everything that you read when these guys get moved. You, you don't see things get said about Jimmy Butler that uh, got said about Tobias Harris when he got traded again from the Clippers. But I have one for you. This is this is kind of random. But what, say they signed both those guys again, mm-hmm. uh, both of them, and, and it's kind of like they're still not good enough. What, what if the Portland thing flames out? Do you think there's a chance we see a Lillard-Simmons trade? For some reason, I just have that in my mind. I, I keep coming back to Simmons. You know, you were one of the first people that I saw float him as potentially being trade fodder for, for Philly at some point. And this is the last offseason, I believe, that they can use his rookie deal. That's why they can mm-hmm. potentially afford to re-sign Butler and Harris. And then decisions need to get made. So, yeah, that that's an interesting one. I think Simmons, they're potentially trying to build a team much like the next team we're about to jump onto uh, around using Simmons' skills, but the fit still isn't amazing there. And uh, yeah, I definitely think we could see uh, Simmons get moved uh, in a year or so's time. These playoffs are going to be uh, very fascinating because in last year's playoffs, I think everyone knows now that but Ben Simmons got a bit exposed by the Celtics. Yep. Uh, and we're going to see if he's grown or not. He obviously doesn't shoot still, so we'll see if he's figured out another way to overcome the kind of thing the Celtics do. But yeah, let's go ahead and move on. You alluded to him. Let's go to the Milwaukee Bucks, who I think had, maybe aside from the Clippers, my favorite trade deadline because, man, even though uh, New Orleans got a lot from Miritich, that, that, that's just they, that's just a great trade for the Bucks. man. Nicole Miritich fits perfectly. He provides the spacing around Giannis. He's a good defender, underrated defender. He just he's just perfect on that on that team, David. I love the fit and I love that we, you know, didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of lot of teams linked to Miritich and I don't really think the Bucks were one of the main ones that you often saw. Mm-hmm. You kind of saw Philly uh, you saw the next team that we're about to talk about, uh, Toronto, which uh, reportedly did uh, go after Miritich and, and were beaten by the Bucks in what they... Philly offered. did too. Uh, I don't know if you saw that story. Yeah, so interesting that the Bucks were able to piece together a deal that uh, beat uh, a lot of the competitors uh, for Miritich. I think, you know, four second rounders is a, is a decent package along with Thon Maker. Um, well, I guess Stanley Johnson was the guy that went to the Pelicans, but Thon Maker was the one that went out from the Bucks. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just love that they're continuing to build around Giannis. You know, he's had a monster season, which he gets a lot of credit for and deserves to. But you know, it's also got a lot to do with this team that they're building around him. I just wrote down, you know, all the names that we'll probably see in the playoffs from this team, and and a lot of flexibility. They got uh, Brook Lopez, Brogdon, Bledsoe, George Hill, Middleton, Ilyasova, and then the young guys in Wilson, DiVincenzo, and Sterling Brown. It just gives them so many options going into the playoffs to throw uh, different teams around and, I guess, counter whoever they're playing in the first, second, or or maybe even the, the conference or the finals, Max. So I guess my question for you here is, what is their ultimate lineup? Because I think there's a few different ways you can you can go with this one. Mm. So you're talking about the closing lineup in the playoffs, basically. Yeah, let's you know they they will obviously change things for who they're playing, but you know if it's right. if it's all about making the other team match you, what do you think the best five for Milwaukee is? That's really interesting, and I think we're gonna. I, I want to see some experimentation here, but I think it's going to be for sure. You're gonna have Middleton and Giannis in there, obviously. Yep. Probably Bledsoe. He's still their best. He's their best guard. Yep. Uh, man, that's where it gets tough. Like I love what Brook Lopez brings for them as a, as a stretch big. Uh, oh, I should throw, throw in Miritich too. Miritich is obviously one of their best five players at this point. 
Yep. So like, it's really just who's the fifth guy, right? Pretty much. I, I've got Bledsoe, Middleton, Giannis, Miritich, and I won't tell you who my fifth guy is until you answer. Yeah, that's, I, I just think it's really hard. I mean, cause I could see them wanting to play uh, Miritich and, and Giannis at the bigs yep. and going smaller and put Brogdon in there maybe. Mm-hmm. But then, it, it obviously, yeah, like we talked about, it's going to depend on who they're playing against because I see Brooke Lopez in there too. Who's your, who's your fifth, though? I've got Lopez because I think that just creates all kind yeah. of problems for whoever you're playing. But I think... Well, another thing, too, uh, real quick, and I'll let, I'll let you go on. Uh, the, 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 the East all of a sudden has some really uh, terrorizing bigs, right? You got Embiid, you got Marcus Saul in Toronto. You need to counter that. And I think you might need a big guy like Lopez to even sort of function against those teams yeah exactly brogdon's the the obvious you know pivot choice there i think but yeah that five's pretty scary around Giannis for sure and uh as we're going to get into the the second round in the east is going to be just nuts oh it's going to be so so good i'm 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 actually the west is a better conference but i'm much more excited for the second round in the east it's going to be yeah i can see uh so let me ask you this david for, who would you pick out of those four teams to come out? Maybe I should have waited uh, on this question for the rest of the discussion, but I, I, just, I just want to hear your opinion on this now. Who, who's your pick? This is a great a great segue into uh, our next team, so I'm happily okay. happily going to answer it because I was going to going to ask you the exact same question <laughs> at, at the end of our Toronto section, but it's still Toronto for me, which I guess we can jump into mm-hmm. the deal that they made and why, and then maybe you can give your answer before we jump into the rest of the East and, and Boston. Yeah, sure. So uh, it was Valanciunas, CJ Miles, and DeLon Wright for Marcus Saul. Do I have that right? Was there was there like a second round or was it just the players? There's a second pick, second round pick in there too. Yeah, okay. So yeah, it's interesting. It's basically they're upgrading from Valanciunas to Gasol, and the prize there is uh, DeLon Wright going out. Mm-hmm. I think it's a no-brainer for the Raptors, honestly. Uh, you got to go for the upside, and Masai knows that. The team, as it presently constituted, could have made the finals, but I think now that they have Marcus Gasol in there, Marcus Gasol could just you know go back to the time machine and grab some of that defensive player of the year form that he has. This team could just be unstoppable defensively. Like, they could just be insane. I'm really glad you brought up the time machine there because... Uh, a lot of the negativity towards this trade I've seen is, you know, people saying that Gasol's not that great of an upgrade on uh, Valanciunas and not that great of an upgrade on, I guess, what their best starting five is. And I'll make two points there. I think mm-hmm. if you remember back to the start of the season, the Marc Gasol that everyone was raving about before Memphis kind of fell off a cliff, uh, you know, I think he can tap back into that. And I don't think we can discount that, you know, the falling off a cliff maybe had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, he was seeing that he wasn't long for Memphis for very long. So maybe he left a, a little bit in the tank that we might see come playoff time. And then, you know, my only other point is you can bench Gasol. You know, I've seen a lot of negativity towards it basically means that they're forced to start Gasol. And, you know, they probably will be for the rest of the regular season. But, you know, smart teams and smart coaches, they change their lineups up uh, for the playoff matchup. And, you know, I don't think it necessarily means that we won't see, say, an Ibaka uh, Siakam front court for certain matchups. Um, you touched on it before. There are some bigs in the East now. So Gasol's perfect for, you know, someone like Embiid and then even Brooke Lopez. But then, you know, when Boston goes small, when Milwaukee goes small, there's no reason why you can't bring Gasol off the bench. I I just don't see that line of thinking of why you would be overly negative towards this trade. Yeah. I don't think you're giving up too much. I like DeLon Wright a lot. He's, he's good. Um, But it's it's worth the upgrade in my opinion to a, you know, an ex all-star who could really just 
really put you over the top. Also, CJ Miles has been really bad this year. Really so bad. Wasn't, and they wasn't giving anything up. They already paid Van Vliet, so they probably weren't going to be able to pay DeLon yeah. right anyway. And also, I heard, I mean, I haven't watched a whole lot of Memphis versus Toronto, or Memphis versus Philly in my day, but I've heard that Gasol actually defends and beat very, very well. Uh, one of the better defenders against yeah. them. So it just gives them, you know, that big beast tool, which they essentially didn't have. You know, Valanciunas is, is good and has been better, but I'm much more comfortable going as a, a defensive matchup with Marcus Gasol going up against Embiid than I would be with uh, Valanciunas for sure. And as I said, you can still go small at times when the, when the matchup fits. So hit us, Max, uh, before we jump into Boston, because mm-hmm. I doubt you're going you're gonna to pick them. Who's your favorite to come out of the East after all these deals? So it's so close. My buddy actually had me like put percentage odds on the floor, and I, I had... Uh, Toronto and Milwaukee tied at 30% chance. Yep. Boston and Philly tied at 20% chance. Okay. So I think this is just incredibly close, but I it just a gun to my head forced to choose. I think I'm going to go with Giannis. I think I'm going to go with Milwaukee just because I just love that way that he's built. And I think Giannis is going to have... You remember remember that uh, the playoff run? I'm sure you do. Uh, when LeBron got to the finals, that shit team yep. and had that 47 points or whatever it was in Detroit. I think we're getting one of those out of Giannis this uh, playoffs. I think it's going to be like a coming out party. Although, I mean, he's already out, but like a, a super duper take over the, the, the conference coming out party. Yeah, I think uh, LeBron's team, that, that often pops up on the timeline still with just how bad that roster was that LeBron... Oh, Ruby Gibson. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, the Bucks team isn't going to be looked at in 10 years' time with those... Uh, YouTube clips of, of how bad the, the lineup was because they've built a great team around Giannis. And, and that's why I, I can't argue with that, even though I'm going with Toronto. It's it's a pretty, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, picking your, your favorite kid when, you, when you're going through these yeah. teams. But I hope I think that's I, the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, the Toronto-Milwaukee. That'd be so Me good. too. I hope the, the standings kind of uh, fall out in a way that we get the best matchup for the Eastern Conference Finals. But Let me ask you real quick, before we go on, what would your favorite matchup be in the second round between these four teams? What, what two do you want to see play each other? Ooh... I think I want Boston and Philly to have a rematch. Those two teams just hate each other. I love that. Yeah, I was just about to say that, but then realized that... Oh, that yeah, was... then that makes the Bucks raptors <laughs> Yeah, that, that means we don't get Bucks raptors in the finals. So, uh, I'll, for selfish reasons, I'll, I'll say instead uh, Bucks boston So we get, uh, hopefully, the Bucks through to the Eastern Conference Finals. And a a great pivot again there, I think, to kind of my big question here with Boston essentially standing pat or, you know, not being able to chase AD at the deadline. I think, you know, this with how tight this Eastern Conference is and all these teams making these kind of all-in moves, there's going to be so much riding on the results of these Eastern Conference Finals and whether teams get blown up, whether there's, you know, firings to either GMs or coaches because of the results and one game here or there is going to define this conference I think for you know years to come just based off where it goes in the playoffs here because I think if Boston take a step back and and get knocked out in that second round I think can be looked at as a little bit of a disaster for them and you know these teams you know particularly you know Miritich is probably a tear down with what they gave up and the type of player that he is but with Philly going after Harris and, and Toronto going after Gasol. Again, if they go out in the second round, it, it, it could mean Toronto going full rebuild and, and it could be some tough decisions for Philly with uh, who they, they re-sign for that roster, Max. Yeah, and even the Bucks, which I think I agree with you with what you're implying here, is they're the most solid of these teams. Yeah. 
going forward. Even so, everyone thinks Giannis is going to be there forever. He next year's trade deadline, he'll be in the same exact contractual position that Davis was this year. Mm-hmm. So like Giannis ain't that far away from asking out if that's what he's intending to do. And if the Bucks say they somehow got upset in the first round, I just don't see how that's possible. But it, it did happen, man. And they and say they start next year kind of poorly too. All of a sudden, you're in a, a scary place. So totally agree with you. These four teams have so much riding on this playoffs. And uh, real quick, let's just focus a little bit on Boston here because. I'm not the first person to make this point, but I think it, it's it's very obvious that they were a winner of the trade deadline just because Anthony Davis didn't get traded. Yep. And, man, I, they have to be the favorites to get Davis now, right? Because it does seem like the, the smoke is that they're willing to put Tatum in the deal. And if they get the in, indication from Kyrie that he'll re-sign if Davis is traded for, uh, I think that that's got to be the favorite right now. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think Clutch and Davis are doing their best to... Uh, get Boston off the scent because it, it sounds like every chance they're getting, they're saying that he won't re-sign there. But mm-hmm. the other interesting thing for me here, and this is a really small nerdy thing, but you know the the Clippers pick is lottery protected, and they look like they're going to tank to keep that. Yep. The Memphis pick is top eight protected. The Sacramento Philly pick. It's the more favorable one, I believe. But, you know, Sacramento are having a much better season than Boston would have anticipated at at the start of the season there. So uh, that's interesting. So what the actual AD package looks like kind of hurts Boston. And if they have a a bad playoffs on top of that, it's going to be panic stations for them, I think. Yeah, I think they were really hoping. I mean, obviously, they were really hoping that they were going to be able to get Davis without giving up Jason Tatum. Yeah, but but I think now that like, you made a great point there with, with those picks, they've all lost. Pretty much all of them are, are looking worse, and I just don't think they can build a package without Tatum in it that's going to trump the Clippers or even probably the Lakers. So. Yeah, that that's the point here. Is it's it's Tatum or or no trade? I think and, yeah. and Pelicans. I think they made the right move in the end, not doing the deal um, because yeah, you've got the Lakers. You've got the Clippers, who we've touched on quite a bit, I think being a a big, huge player in both this and free agency for the summer. Then you throw in Boston. And then I think the lottery is probably going to say whether it's a four-team race, because if someone like the Knicks get the number one pick, then all of a sudden the Pelicans are going to have multiple packages to choose from. And I think, uh, therefore, everyone will look back on this trade deadline and and applaud them for uh, not making the Lakers move. If and only if, Max, and this will be the the last point that I'll make for the pod, Davis doesn't get injured because uh, him playing for the Pelicans is pretty interesting I cannot right now. believe they're playing him. And the rumor came out that the NBA threatened to, to fine them like $250,000 a game or whatever it was. That's absurd. Yeah, I think they've been bullied a little bit by the NBA and the Players Association here. I think it was 100000 a game and... Uh, I actually saw a really interesting tweet. Someone basically said that's two point four to two point seven million dollars. I think based on how many uh, games the Pelicans have left, um, you maybe just eat that fine. Yeah, Ma- worth it. Worth it. <laughs> you know, and that, the extra point they made is like sell. You know, what did we see uh, Golden State buy that? Uh, 
Bulls pick for. That, three million, three million. Three million. Yeah. So yeah, sell one or two of those second round picks that you got for Miritich, <laughs> uh, pay the fine, and risk him getting injured because yeah, this is uh, not a good situation for the Pelicans right now. I'm surprised Rich Paul wants Davis to play if he does. I'm surprised that Davis is playing. No, it doesn't benefit anyone for Anthony Davis to be playing right now. Other than the NBA wants, you know, obviously their stars to play. But it doesn't benefit either party here. We're talking about Davis and the team. Uh, if he got injured, like a serious injury, say he had a Paul George, yep. that would be catastrophic, man. Yep, and I think it's just total vindictiveness from Rich Paul and Davis here uh, for the Pelicans not moving him when they wanted him to. They're just going to yeah. threaten to play him. They can obviously still manage his minutes and stuff, but it, it's just a risk that you wouldn't really want to be taking if you're the Pelicans, and it's it's pretty unfortunate, that, that whole scenario now. Yeah, I don't love it. Uh, my last point I want to... Doing the podcast is, is off your point about the lottery. This lottery night is going to be an all-timer coming up. Because, it, first of all, it's a winner-take-all lottery, basically, because everyone knows Zion's the guy. Yep. It's not like last year where there was some debate. It's it's all Zion here. Yep. And uh, there, are some, there are some interesting franchises involved. They, the Davis trade... Uh, element is interesting with the Clippers and the and the Knicks, mm-hmm. so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I I, I hate lottery night because I'm a Suns fan, uh, but it's it's gonna be a fun one this year. I'm gonna try to enjoy it as best I yep. can. Yeah, it's it's the Zion race, and uh, it has major implications now, particularly with this Davis stuff. So uh, yeah, that's gonna be a, a fun one to look out for and. There'll be some nervous Suns fans, I'm sure, because no matter how we go for the rest of the season, we're probably going to have around a a 15% chance at landing that top top pick, Max. Yep. As as far as I've seen from Suns fans, they think we basically have a 0% chance. (laughs) Uh, All right, David, should we move on to seven seconds or less? Let's do it. All right, so seven seconds or less is the segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has seven seconds or less to answer and has not prepared beforehand david this week it is your turn to ask me the questions it is and i touched on this much earlier in the episode but i hate the buyout rule max and the market uh that it's created we already saw with phoenix with chandler rivers and then allington that players kind of hold all the power here but with that little whinge out of the way i'm gonna do a quick buyout game with seven players from seven seconds or less and i want you to very quickly name a team that they might sign with after being bought out by their current team so markeith morris has already been bought out by the pelicans phoenix just kidding (laughs) i'm on the lakers i can see you on the lakers okay shelvin mack who's going to be bought out by Atlanta. God, who needs a guard? Does Utah need a guard? Yeah. I'll go with Utah. Okay. I'll go with Utah. He's got history there. Uh, this guy hasn't been bought out yet, but it's probably one of the more interesting ones. Robin Lopez with the Chicago Bulls. Ooh, how about he go back to his brother in uh, Milwaukee? That'd be kind of fun. I've seen a few people say that. That, that would be a fun one. Uh, Ennis Cantor has been bought out by the Knicks. I'm seeing a lot of uh, ties with him to the Celtics, which, I okay, I guess. Um, I, I don't like Enos Kander, and I don't think he really makes sense anywhere, so I'll just say that. Okay. Uh, Marcin Gortat was weirdly waived by the Clippers to create a roster spot. I totally missed that. Um, I actually like him better on the Celtics, so I'll, I'll put him there instead, and Enos Kander can go to... The Thunder. I don't know, the Hor- Send him to the, the Thunder. Thund- Please, no. <laughs> uh, how, about, how about the Hornets? They need a big man. How about, how about the Hornets for Enos? Nice. Uh, Michael Beasley, will he find another team? God, Probably. Yeah, I, got, I, I, I hate to say this, you just brought them up, but the Thunder could use some scoring, I guess. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't like that. 
and I think this guy actually just signed a 10-day, so I'll, I'll skip him. I've got some spares here. I was going to say Ben McElmore, but uh, I believe he's already signed a 10-day, I think it was with Toronto. Toronto. Yep. So yep. I'll let you pick one more out of these three spares. Greg Munro, Nick Stauskas, and Zach Randolph. Good God, those are spares, aren't they? <laughs> Stauskas, maybe he gets one more shot on a team that could use some shooting. I'm thinking maybe Utah or OKC. Okay. Yep. They. they... Um. I'm surprised you didn't mention Melo. No. Well, I think it's uh. There's o- <laughs> there's only one answer there, but uh, OKC yeah. did just wave Alex Abrinas before we jumped on. So yeah, Stauskas there could be an interesting one, but uh, still going to give you a couple more questions here. So number two, if you were the GM at this deadline, what is one move you would have pushed hard to get done for the Phoenix Suns? Uh, I'll give the caveat that still has to be in the context of the deadline. So, uh, you know, AD is staying in New Orleans, uh, for instance, and you got to work around that. I would have pushed really, really hard. And maybe they did, and it just was not possible. But I would have pushed as hard as I possibly could for Lonzo. Yeah. I think I think everybody knows that already. But I, I would have, like, I would have, this, this year's pick was on the table for me. Yeah. Uh, TJ, I, I don't know, maybe even TJ and Josh. I would have gone really hard for him because I think that's, that's what they need. Yeah, and that's really interesting. I've only just thought of that. But if the AD deal had fallen over well before the last day and the Lakers obviously want to try and make the playoffs here. You know, guys like TJ Warren and stuff might've actually been, you know, valuable to the Lakers. Yeah. The problem there is they have to be sure they can move him, right? Yeah. They want the free agency space. Exactly. And teams would see that coming and and kind of hold them over a barrel a little bit, perhaps. Yep. Uh, But question three to finish here, the Suns can't trade now until their season ends and likely not until draft night, Max. So what is the next trade the Phoenix Suns make and when will it be? They'll probably make a draft night trade. What is it? I think I'm not going to, I don't know if I can give you a specific person because that's tough. I think that a draft night trade of their own pick for a more established point guardish person makes some sense to me. Yep. I'm trying to figure out who that would be. Maybe even, I know the Pelicans are, are saying all the things about wanting to keep Holiday around, but if they make a, a draft night Davis trade and decide we're going full rebuild, maybe it could be Drew Holiday? Yep. He's been traded on draft night uh, already before, I believe. So, he has, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that one. I, I wouldn't be surprised just to give my answer here. Uh, mm-hmm. Similar thing. I think if we don't land the number one pick, then our pick is definitely tradable on draft night. And maybe for a power forward that we haven't even thought of just yet. And then they go to point guard in the free agency market, Max. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of who that could possibly Maybe like... Bobby Portis, if Washington doesn't want to pay him, would be interesting. If the pick's like not good at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's interesting. Plenty to think about there for Suns fans. Yep, but that's enough for us to speak about. Yes. We're going to sign off here. Uh, please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. David, are there any recent reviews? There are. One in Australia, uh, Raphael's Girlfriend is the username, so shout out to uh, Raphael's Girlfriend. And two in the US, which uh, we're not going to read out, but uh, happy for them to give us the review with the five star. <laughs> so thanks we, to Big Sun and also Sun Sphere who reviewed read us. read out Big Sun. I like to thank Big Sun for uh, his generous contribution to my Twitter bio now. <laughs> uh, and also, hey, to be fair, I asked for criticism as long as we got five stars and Big Sun gave us five stars. That's true. And I'll take the criticism. And I'm also, I am a bit too much sometimes, David. Did you see my Twitter feed last night? <laughs> We're all a little bit too much sometimes, but appreciate you listening and reviewing and if anyone else wants to do that we will continue to give you a shout out on the pod max yes 
We will. One last question for you, Max. Little mini stretch here. Two games before the All-Star and then some winnable ones after. We've got Sacramento, the Clippers, the Cavs, Atlanta, Miami, and the Pelicans. What is your prediction for the next six games record-wise? That's a really winnable stretch of games, isn't it? It is. It's the Suns, so I can't give them a 500 record, but I'll go two and four just because some of those teams are pretty beatable. All right, I'm going to go three and three, ever the uh, positive person as a Suns fan. So that is all now, Max. I like it. I hope you're right and I'm wrong, as usual, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys.